Welcome to the Magnificast, a podcast about Christianity and leftist politics. My name is Dean Detlaff, and I'm your co-host for the week. And I'm the other co-host, Matt Bernico. Hello. <laughs> uh, yep, it's another week, another podcast, and there's a lot going on in the news. Lots of things we could talk about and won't talk about, I guess, this time around. Uh, the Pope came to Canada. We're not doing an episode on that right now. Maybe later. Maybe the lock-in. I don't know. Just got to let that settle for a minute, <laughs> I think. Got to let stew. Yeah. Yeah. Can't talk about it too soon. Got to wait for it to be just the right time. But what we can talk about is uh, what's been going on in the online Christian discourse. That's what we love to do. I love doing it, at least. Um, people will all talk about one thing for a long time on Twitter, and I don't ever know why. But today we're going to get to the bottom of it. Um, so the online discourse on Christian Twitter has been really, really concerned with the phrase Christian nationalism. Uh, we've talked about this a handful of times in the past. You can go back through our our extensive catalog of episodes, <laughs> and I'm sure listen to us talk about nationalism or whatever <laughs> a lot. Uh, but we're going to do it again, this time with a little bit of a different twist. Um, so the particular discourse going on right now, it, it got going, it got bubbling when Marjorie Taylor Greene, a representative from Georgia, uh, decided that it was cool for her to just call herself a Christian nationalist at a Turning Point USA event. Um, here, I'll read the quote for you if you if you aren't familiar. She says uh, she's a Christian nationalist, and that's not a bad word. It's actually a good thing. There's nothing wrong with leading with your faith. If we do not live our lives and vote like we are nationalists, caring about our country and putting our country first and wanting that to be the focus of our federal government, if we don't lead that way, then we'll not be able to fix it. A real jumble of words. I love it. A big, delicious word salad on this hot summer's day. <laughs> uh, anyway, so she said that she's a Christian nationalist, and everyone uh, let out a collective groan because that means we have to talk about it nonstop until we figure it out. Um, so out of this, a lot of big questions, I think, have been bubbling up to the surface once again on Twitter.com. And I'm sure on Facebook and other places, too, maybe even in your personal life. Who knows? But, you know, you hear people talking about big questions like uh, is Christian nationalism even the right word? Right. Is there a different word we can throw in there? You could. We'll talk about that later. Uh, is uh, patriotism and nationalism the same thing? Or are they different? Uh, who cares? And then is the U.S. a Christian nation? That's the big one. Right. Um, if uh, if it is, then maybe we should be Christian nationalists or something. So in this episode, we've decided to chime in and answer all these hot questions that people on the Internet can't stop talking about. Um, a lot of liberals have been really invested in answering these questions in like uh, very historical ways, especially the one about the U.S. being a Christian nation. And that's interesting and fine. Go for it, guys. I don't care. Um, <laughs> but we're going to we're going to diverge a little bit from the the liberal answers here. And uh, right at the beginning, we're going to drop the hottest and spiciest take yet. And uh, we're going to say, oh, not we. Well, I mean, I guess I'm speaking royally for Dean as well. So, Dean, if you want to stop me, I guess you can. But uh, we're going to say, yep, the U.S. is a Christian nation, but for all the worse. <laughs> not for, not in a good way. Not in the Marjorie Taylor Greene way, but also not in the way that anyone else wants it to be. Um, so we'll get into why and how in just a minute. But first, uh, let's do the thing we also love to do on this podcast and talk about philosophy too much. Yep, we're going to do it. We're going to talk about philosophy, but this time, okay, eventually we are going to talk about a French guy, but not right away. Uh, first, we're going to talk about an Austrian guy. <laughs> an Austrian it's pretty close. Or English if you guy. Think about it. Pretty close. France is 
kind of on the way between those two countries. Um, you guessed it, Ludwig Wittgenstein. Um, he is a wild guy, and we're not going to say too much about him. But the big question, I think, for me, when anybody starts talking about words and what they mean is what are words at all? <laughs> what, do we, what do we mean when we talk about what things mean? And it is a difficult thing to figure out. It kind of consumed all the, the brightest philosophical minds of the 20th century and still today. And when people start sort of thinking about terms and really nailing them down and being like, well, here's Christian nationalism, exactly what it means, or here's Christianity and here's nationalism and here's how they do or don't go together, I always find myself thinking about people like Wittgenstein, and we'll talk about some others too. But Wittgenstein had this really interesting kind of way of talking about language where he said, if you're trying to find the one single kind of ultimate universal definition of a term or a phrase, you're doing something extremely weird. That was his way of thinking it through. Or like sometimes he would say, you have like philosophy disease. It's a big problem. <laughs> uh, you uh, What you do is you take what is kind of normal in everyday life, right? We all use terms. We all, we all use language. And they're just part of the flow of conversation. And then you take them out of that flow and you start sort of like putting them under the microscope and treating them as though they're not like part of that conversation, but they're, they're something else, right? They're like... Uh, magic kind of things that have this definite meaning behind them. And so the, the philosopher is always looking for, like, what exactly are these words and what exactly do they mean? And Wittgenstein said, if you want to know what, what a word means, you should look at how it's used in particular. And I think that kind of gets us started in a way more interesting conversation about something like Christian nationalism. Uh, it's a weird phrase because it gets used in lots of different ways, right? And that is what Wittgenstein actually was interested in kind of explaining, that words probably don't have just one meaning. Uh, they actually float around and they get all kinds of other meanings depending on how they get used. Um, he had this metaphor of saying language is kind of like playing a game. So there's all these rules that you learn about how to sort of use words within that game. Um, but, uh, you know, the game is is flexible and we're all kind of playing all the time and it's it's all a bit of a mess <laughs> so the key is to try to learn the rules but also understand that they're in flux and and we're all sort of playing together and at least that i think starts shifting our brains a little bit for thinking about christian nationalism so the idea isn't to say well christianity is one thing nationalism is another thing and they never go together or or that they always have to be apart by definition, right? Um, or to say Christian nationalism is a contradiction in terms, something that never makes sense, or is a, an oxymoron, or whatever it might be. Uh, it's easier, to, I think, or, or more helpful. It gets us on a different path to start asking, well, how are these terms used, and what do they mean when people use them? That's right. That's exactly what we should be asking. I mean, um, it, it seems like... Uh... I don't know the the very weird philosophy disease that you mentioned at the very very beginning of this uh, description is exactly the weird pitfall that people keep falling into around Christian nationalism and Christianity in general. That like Christianity has some kind of universal meaning that like if you say it, you know, if you say it uh, enough times in a in a think piece on some website, people will just know what you're talking about. And if you're trying to differentiate, you know, um, Christian nationalism from it, you can do it easily and, and disentangle these things. But it's actually quite hard. Um, for all the reasons you said. Yeah, exactly. So, all right, now is the time for the French guide. Oui, oui. <laughs> uh, Wittgenstein gets you pretty far, I think. Asking some good questions about language, he can kind of maybe change the terms of it a little bit. But 
even more helpful or important and kind of along these lines is the approach of somebody, Michel Foucault, a really weird French philosopher. Uh, I don't know. He probably wouldn't say he's a philosopher, but I'm going to say that he is. Well, that's what you'd read him, right? You'd read him in a philosophy class. Yeah. Or I think people read him in a lot of disciplines now. He's like, he shows up everywhere, but whatever. He's dead, so he can't say that I can't call him a philosopher. <laughs> Um, <laughs> Vic, uh, Foucault had this kind of way of thinking about language that was a bit similar to Wittgenstein. Like he also said, you know, if you really want to know about words and what they mean, you should look at how they're used. But where Foucault added something different was he said, and when you look at how they're used, what you find is they're always used, words are always used or language is always used in a kind of network of power relationships. So uh, if you want to know what a term like Christian nationalism means or, you know, other things, whatever, democracy, politics and so on, um, you should look at this kind of big constellation of institutions and speakers and uh, books and whatever that all kind of contribute to the meaning of that phrase or word and vice versa. So the way that word gets used or phrase gets used contributes to a new constellation of power relationships and uh, for Foucault, the really interesting question isn't necessarily what's the final meaning of this term, but it lets you ask other kinds of questions. For example, what does saying a sentence like the United States is a Christian nation, what does that make possible for people to do? Or what, what kinds of like worlds are produced by saying that statement? What arrangements of power uh, are brought into the world with a statement like that? And it lets you ask some other questions like, how does the position of the person actually saying that statement, uh, how does that sort of change what the statement means? So, for example, if you're on the left and like Matt said at the top of this episode, you said the U.S. is a Christian nation and so much the worse for us. <laughs> what does that do to that kind of phrase? Or, uh, you know, what does it make possible or impossible to say that Christianity and nationalism are mutually exclusive terms, right? All these different kinds of conversations or or maybe proposals that you see in the discourse today around Christian nationalism. And I think that is at least where I start going when I hear these kinds of terms. Like, what does it mean for us to, uh, what does it mean for Marjorie Taylor Greene to say the U.S. is a Christian nation? And what does it mean for a liberal or progressive Christian to say, no, it isn't, or this doesn't make sense to say that, or whatever? And uh, I think when we start asking that question, we actually get to a, a, a level of conversation that's underneath just the kind of partisan one. And we can really figure out like, well, how do these what's at stake here? Right. What is saying these kind of statements do for the way that we think and act politically? Yeah, I think that's right. And I mean, you can see how the rest of the discourse kind of, uh, you know, Marjorie Taylor Greene, she says that she's a Christian nationalist. The United States is a Christian nation. Shouldn't we be? Christian nationalist and wanting the best for those kinds of things or whatever, right? But then you can see how um, when she says that phrase, when she makes that claim um, from her particular position of power, um, you know, with her particular background and all these other intentions that go along with it, right? Then you see how the entire discourse kind of gets strung along right behind it. <laughs> and, and now everyone else has to use that particular meaning of Christian nation, right? Um, and it, it, it makes things like... Um, it, it can definitely muddy the waters, though, of, of meaning and of intention. You know, like I guess, like, uh, when it comes to Foucault, the, uh, what always comes to mind for me is, I mean, definitely this whole, this idea about discourse and power and stuff. But in the, uh, he has a book called The Archaeology of Knowledge, which is great. 
uh, good book, I guess. <laughs> it's complicated. But, it, you know, and it, he's, he's talking about what is like a history of ideas, right? And how you would trace a history of an idea. Uh, of an idea. And like, this is me kind of uh, thinking about it on the fly. So maybe it's not exactly right, but I think I'm pretty close here at least. But, you know, that, that there's like, um, there is like, there are beginnings and there are ends to ideas and words and phrases and, and stuff like that, right? But like, it's difficult because um, they're not all the same. It's, you know, it's like it's like a big tree with very mixed up roots, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Um, that uh, sometimes like a word will stop and it will take on a new meaning. It'll get reconstituted. It'll get like flipped around. But like, I guess right now you can kind of see the ways that uh, Christian nationalism or the U.S. as a Christian nation kind of getting caught up in a particular sort of network of of right wing political projects. And and that's the that's the important part. And then when when liberals respond on the in the other direction, right, it kind of like um, activates a handful of other ideas that that spring that strings it along in a different direction. All that to say that like the ways that different that people use Christian nationalism or the phrase like we've been repeating over and over that the United States is a Christian nation, the way people use it, um, it serves a particular political end and it kind of forecloses certain political possibilities and. Um, and prohibits others, right? Like uh, a Christian nation, uh, in this sense, in, in either the liberal or the conservative way of thinking, right? It, it refers to like a particular capitalist, uh, either reactionary or liberal democracy. Um, but it does. It, it's like, but it's not meaning the project of uh, Christian, like Christians fighting against the Philippines. You know, the, the government in the Philippines or something. Like it's not. It's not activating those same types of things because it's in like sort of different. Uh, rhetorical networks and, and those things are quite important for kind of figuring out what these things might mean. Yeah, exactly. I mean, on another episode we did a long time about nationalism, a long time ago about nationalism, we talked about the the meaning of patriotism, right? Where like if you're in the U.S. and you're on the left, um, patriotism is usually a dirty word or you're understandably allergic to it unless you're like one of those weird patriotic socialist <laughs> people. <laughs> not Not for me. Um, but, uh, you know, patriotism is bound up in these very toxic, uh, ways that people think about imperialism and national identity and so on. But in a country like, well, in a revolutionary situation, like in revolutionary Nicaragua or in Cuba or in, uh, I don't know, certain sectors of China historically, right? The term nation in Christian contexts has been very different because the way that the nation is understood or operative and so on, uh, and the way that patriotism is understood and operative is, is a different kind of situation. So, yeah, the, the question is sort of not finding the, the ultimate definition of a term, but rather seeing terms and phrases in kind of ecosystems of, of power. So I think when we talk about uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene saying the United States is a Christian nation, it's probably obvious what's going on, I would think, right? She she wants to preserve a kind of Christian hegemony. Um, this is a longstanding project on the right in the United States, uh, and she's tapping into that longstanding project. Like, it's not novel that she is taking that on board. I mean, she's saying that she's a Christian nationalist, partly probably in response to people saying Christian nationalism okay. is bad. <laughs> and so she's she's owning that, I guess, rhetorically, which is a probably smart rhetorical move. Um, and she's doing that in order to uh, double down on all kinds of things, right? White supremacy, a certain kind of um, Christianity that to her is acceptable. You know, she famously does not like um, Catholics or 
at least Catholics that aren't extremely reactionary, that sort of thing. So, uh, you know, what, what she's what, what it means for her to say the U.S. is a Christian nation is obviously bad and yucky. Um, but you can understand it in that history uh, and that kind of complex history. I think for me, though, the what what the kind of liberal response to it by kind of automatically pushing that aside or pushing that statement aside that the United States is a Christian nation, what the liberal response fails to do or kind of lacks is ask that second Foucauldian question, which is like, well, are there other kind of matrices of power, other networks of terms where actually saying a term like that makes different kind of lines of thinking possible? So the liberal approach shuts down some of those lines of thinking. And maybe we could talk about that in a minute, but that's in broad strokes what I'm getting at. Just trying to think through what does it mean to recontextualize that? Yeah, that definitely. Um, a lot of things to talk about in a little bit, as always. <laughs> um, I think <laughs> something that like really rubs me the wrong way about this conversation is that having been sort of an evangelical transitioning away from evangelicalism in the early 2000s, I feel like there's like a certain like soft spot this like hits for me. Or maybe not soft spot, but like tender spot. <laughs> like like when your when your tooth has a big hole in it and you eat something that you shouldn't uh, and it <laughs> and it hurts your teeth. Um that's how this feels. I guess I, I say that because um, you know, uh the Christianity in in the in that particular time, right, the early two thousands, it's kind of like um trying to figure out what to do with like the Bush years. Or trying to figure out like uh, what any of that meant, or uh, you know, uh, respond to the Christian nationalism of the Bush years in a in a faithful way, right? So you, you get all kinds of different people, like uh, John Howard Yoder or Shane Claiborne, uh, who we love to talk about on this podcast uh, in various ways, and Stanley Harawas and so on, right? All these people kind of responding to the 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 horrors of the Bush years. Um, and I guess it's, it's just frustrating to me because it's like um, right now the conversation from liberals seems to be like um, Christian nationalism is like this new phenomena that we have to raise a lot of red flags about in the moment because it's like it's this imposter Christianity that's arrived on the scene and uh, now it's a problem. But it's like it's been a problem for a pretty long time <laughs> and it's really frustrating um, I guess to see it like that. So, for example, there's an article from uh, CNN that's an opinion piece, and it's called Marjorie Taylor Greene's Words on Christian Nationalism are a Wake-Up Call by Amanda Tyler, um, which, whatever, I mean, it should be a wake-up call. People should be mad about it. Uh, but something that she said in the piece, like, really irked me. Uh, she says that Christian nationalism, while pervasive and longstanding, cannot be normalized. I think Christians who continue to make up a majority of Americans— I'm not sure if that's really true, have special responsibility to step up to this critical moment and reject Christian nationalism. And like, fair enough, Christians should definitely wake up and and reject Christian nationalism. But like to say that it can't be normalized is really frustrating because it's definitely normalized. <laughs> I don't know. It just seems like such a bizarre way to think about it that like that. Um, like, OK, the, the Bush years is also are, are, are the Bush years are also not the beginning of Christian nationalism either. <laughs> they're just sort of my <laughs> they're my wake up call because that's when I was a teen. Um, but I guess it's frustrating because it's like these things are very normal. What's not normal are people kind of going ahead and just saying that they're Christian nationalists or that they they don't believe in the separation of church and state like Lauren Boebert or whatever. So it, it's it's frustrating all around because this is a problem that has existed for a long time and um, to be raising your alarms or getting your hackles up about it now, or it's kind of like where you've been. <laughs> yeah. 
And I mean, not only uh, Bush, too, but um, it's a bipartisan problem, right? I mean, Democrats are Christian nationalists in a different kind of way. I mean, they have maybe a more pluralistic view of what their uh, Christianity calls them to in nation building. And they have a concern about the separation of church and state that's a bit more uh, defined and so on. And good for them, genuinely. (laughs) That's a better alternative for sure. But at the same time, like... I don't know, every single president that has ever been the president of the United States is a Christian, and uh, all of them have been nationalists. (laughs) So it's true that it takes on different qualities. It's not Christian nationalism in the same way. I mean, they're not out there being like, we need to really, you know, synonymize Christian values with national values or something like that. Um, But there is a kind of uh, underlying, um, I guess, uh, attempt to find a homology between like, you know, the faith, like whatever, Barack Obama often talked about his own Christian faith and how it leads to his civic values or, you know, you get the same thing in Bill Clinton and Jimmy Carter, everybody's favorite Baptist (laughs) or whatever. Like, you know, these are, there's a longstanding problem, I guess, in thinking through just the, the nuances and complexities of Christian nationalism that also gets maybe a little bit, uh, like saying that Christian nationalism is just a right-wing phenomenon actually stops you from asking those other kinds of questions. Like, what if this is a bigger mm-hmm. problem? <laughs> a problem that's bigger than just, like, Marjorie Taylor Greene speaking of Yeah, totally. And, and you know, if it's not, like, okay, like you just said a minute ago, right, all of, the, all of the presidents are Christians and they've all been nationalists, and that's totally true. But also, like, that infrastructure within evangelical churches has existed for an extremely long time as well. It's not a new problem. I mean, I think it... I, I don't know um, here, like most evangelical churches have something called Freedom Sunday where they celebrate the troops. And it's like, <laughs> if you want to see Christian nationalism, go to like literally any, even like mainline Protestant denomination during that, during that Sunday. And you can kind of see it all happening right before your eyes. And yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> on the 4th of July or maybe like right after it or whatever, it doesn't matter. But like, I, I don't know. It, it's all there. It's all there and it's all already there. And uh and it's, you know, I'm not saying it's not worse <laughs> when somebody says it out loud or something, but like, uh, it's just, it's the, it's somebody saying the quiet part loud. And maybe that's what people are uh, frustrated about, which is fair, but still kind of <laughs> dumb. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess the, so maybe we can pivot a little bit to asking that question of what would it mean to say that the U.S. is a Christian nation in yeah. a complicated way. Um because I think, like, this is a, I guess, our G-Check moment on the podcast to be like, aha, but what if Marjorie Taylor Green is right? Yeah, finally, the perverse score right? of the magnitude <laughs> cast, we got there. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, like, uh, there was an essay by Diana Butler Bass recently kind of talking about all this stuff. And um, she said what kept coming to her mind is that the United States is not a Christian nation, but it has been influenced by Protestantism in a meaningful way over time. And in the essay, she tried to kind of also say that, like, if it was a Christian nation, it would be promoting all these different values that were, (laughs) (laughs) you know. And then she also looked at a handful of uh, what she called attempts to build a Christian nation that didn't work out, um, kind of utopian communities or, like, I don't know, Mormonism, so on and so forth. And, uh, like, you know, she basically is trying to make the case that talking about the U.S. as a Christian nation is sort of a historical or, or not quite right, but it relies on this theological premise 
that basically Christianity has to be mm-hmm. good. <laughs> it has to be good and it has to believe in the good things. And if it doesn't, if a nation doesn't do those good things, then it can't, it doesn't earn the title of Christian. Uh, and by proxy, those people who've tried to do it didn't, it didn't pan out. So it's a, a losing strategy. And I can kind of understand what she's saying, but uh, like we talk about on the show all the time, Christianity is not our best hopes for it, right? It is a big constellation or collection or archive of all kinds of stuff um, from all over the world, from lots of historical points in time. And some of them are great and some of them are truly awful. And when we think about Christianity, it's important to not avoid or how do I say it positively? It's important to affirm that all that goes into the big stew that is Christianity, Mm -hmm. unfortunately. Um, And we have to kind of take that on board. So to say the United States is a Christian nation is to recognize that a country that has only ever had Christian presidents (laughs) uh, is probably like rightly considered a Christian nation. Um, Diana Butler Bass does go out of her way to say like she doesn't like the idea that, you know, if a country has a state church or is significantly influenced by Christianity, it's not necessarily a Christian nation, even if we kind of talk about that geopolitically. Um, But I don't find it very convincing to kind of wash our hands of it. Um, It seems to me you actually can get a lot further thinking through the problems of the United States politically and historically if you affirm that a lot of those problems originate in extremely Christian ideas, identifiable Christian ideas, including Christian ideas about the separation mm-hmm. of church and state, right? <laughs> they might might be good or bad ideas or whatever, um, but Christianity is the soil out of which the United States grows, and uh, we've never had a leader at the executive level who is not a Christian. And that is helpful to kind of see because it opens up other lines of inquiry or makes other questions possible. Like, uh, okay, the U.S. is a Christian nation, and if you happen to be a non-Christian nation, that is often bad Mm -hmm. news for you. (laughs) Even in terms of global imperialism, you know, George Bush explicitly said that he was spreading Christian democracy in the Middle East. Um, That did not go very well. Uh, you know, it, it's a, it's important to sort of say this is there is a Christian project going on, and uh, that happens both with uh, Republicans and Democrats at the helm. Um, you know, especially during the Cold War, I guess, but uh, even today, and it, it's good to maybe kind of sit with the uncomfortability of that rather than try to push it aside under the kind of the theological hope that Christianity is is pure or kind of immune to that. Right. I mean, I totally get the impulse to want to say it's not, you know, that uh, it's not deserving of the title of Christianity. I think that speak that I understand that impulse. I get it. And I want I want to do that, too. But I think it doesn't really make sense sociologically or like in the Foucauldian sense, for sure. It doesn't make sense if you think of religion, though, I think in terms of like, I don't know, the way that we are talking about it last week, right? A thing that you plug lots of different things into. For example, uh, the United States is fundamentally an inheritor of the doctrine of discovery in, in a whole lot of ways, right? Like Manifest Destiny is 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 um, the materialization of, of that belief in, you know, within the confines of United States history. Um, and without being a, a quote-unquote Christian nation, like, I don't know, could that have happened? Yeah, I guess, but, like, there's a real Christian flavor to it. Um, I mean, the the genocide of indigenous people is a Christian thing to happen. 
um, you know, and 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 on and on and on, right? And and to say that like, well, it's it's not deserving of this term is just kind of like missing the point that uh, Christianity is not always good. Christianity is, you know, I think what it produces. I I think maybe is a the way I like to think about it at least. Mm-hmm. And if you do think about it that way, you see that uh, the inherit the the inheritance that we have of Christianity is bad <laughs> right and and maybe if we start thinking about uh, different ways to process that past and and ways that we could pivot in the future like maybe that would be a, a better way to to move forward she uh, uh diana butler bass at the very end of the the substack that she wrote about christian nationalism she does have a good paraphrase of the apostle paul which i appreciate that she says that we do the very thing that we hate even while pressing toward mm-hmm. the good and i think that's still a pretty good word i mean that's exactly what christians do um we do the thing that we're not trying to do all the time but fundamentally there's still some type of like eschatological hope or like <laughs> idea of what what the world could be if we were just like a little bit better people. Um, and I, I don't know. I find that pretty convincing just the same too, right? Christianity is definitely responsible for all the bad, but it also gives us an imagination if we kind of read it in a different light to think of what could be better. And I think that's fine. Um, but it is complicated, right? This this is why the Foucauldian thing is important because there are all these different meanings being activated at once. Um, you know, some some not for other people, but, <laughs> but I think that... Uh, part of the uh, a, a strategy, I think, for people who who still find Christianity to be like a meaningful uh, religious movement, is to find ways to activate a bigger network to to recognize that like what's happening with Christian nationalism is definitely our inheritance that we have to kind of come to deal with, but also um, gr- growing our <laughs> our brains about what we think is possible with Christianity. So to know that like there's a different a different idea of uh, Christianity, and there's a different idea of the church, there's a different idea of religion out there that we could. Uh, use to leverage something better. Yeah, no, I agree for sure. I think, um, you know, my big question is, I guess, still a faculty in question, which is what power power relations are served by denying that the U.S. is a Christian nation? Or even, uh, you yeah. know, like <laughs> one phrase you just said, Matt, a minute ago, which this isn't what you meant, but this is what kind of came to mind. You said um, uh, Christianity wasn't trying to do this or something like that. Um, but of course, like oh. some Christians were, which <laughs> absolutely is, like yeah. I said, not what you're saying. But um, I was just keying in on that because I think that's a kind of turn of phrase that you often get in liberal Christianity that like, oh, Christians, you know, they weren't really following the gospel or they weren't really like being Christians when they did this. But uh, the troubling thing is like, maybe they were, though, <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> yeah, totally like on purpose. They were spreading the faith in these really awful ways or. I mean, when it when it comes to like you know chattel slavery yeah. in the United States, that's totally exactly. the case, right? Christians were doing that on purpose, yeah, and with Christian reasons to do it. Uh, you know, yeah, that's absolutely. The, the sad part about it, um, and so yeah, like I said, the faculty in question is what power relationships are kind of sustained um, and and kind of made possible or fed by this move to make Christianity um, innocent all the time. And I think it's like, you know, it's a Christian hegemony, basically, that is sustained. And I mean, Diana Butler Bass, like you could do a lot worse for sure. She's not a bad person, I guess. I don't think (laughs) she she seems fine. Um, (laughs) I don't know know either. But, uh, you know, like, I guess what I'm saying is like, you'd rather have a progressive Christian around than a super conservative one. But um, if the history of the left teaches us anything, it's that progressives can also end up um, reinforcing all kinds of really subtle ways that oppressive powers kind of have their tentacles, you know, around us. Uh, especially when we think about 
what the damage that Christianity does in our societies, um, even progressive forms of Christianity. Uh, it, it makes a big difference that we understand that um, Christianity is complicit in the violence that happens in, in chattel slavery and the genocide of indigenous peoples in global imperialism, all these kinds of systems. Uh, because if we don't see that Christianity is part of that and really take the time to parse that out, then our own Christianity is probably going to smuggle all that stuff back in because we've, you know, it's the, the unthought through trauma, the unworked through, uh, illness that's still down there kind of causing all these symptoms. So it's not to say that when you ask, when you affirm, oh yeah, the U S is a Christian nation and so much the worse for us, not to say that if you say that all of a sudden you're going to have it figured out, <laughs> but like it, it, it put, <laughs> because yeah, I exactly, I just said exactly, it. but like it puts you on a path maybe to figuring it out in a way that saying, well, Christianity is always going to be innocent actually stops you from going down that path entirely. Not only is Christianity innocent, but then also it kind of creates a space for an innocent U.S. hegemony. Yeah, yeah. Like in some of the takes that I've been reading around this, um, people will be like, well, I'm a I'm a Christian and a patriot, but also like I'm not a Christian nationalist. Right. And it's like, I don't know. Um, that's pretty ugly, too, I think. <laughs> <laughs> right. And so to, so to keep Christian nationalism at an arm's length while saying you're a patriot and a Christian Seems bad in the same way, honestly. It was just like, you know, you're trying to create this, like, space where your form of Christianity and your idea of the United States is not uh, is not bad. It's not the one that is planning coups in Latin America, but, like, we all know mm -hmm. it is. <laughs> so, I don't know. Um, it, it's frustrating to see that. Uh, it, 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 it does far more harm than they, I think they know they're doing, but... Whatever. Yeah, you know, the example that always comes to mind for me and that I use a lot that I've probably said on this podcast more than once is uh, uh, Oscar Romero, um, the bishop in El Salvador. If you don't know about him, check him out for sure. He was, um, I don't know, interesting voice for the poor in the middle of a extremely conflicted situation. Um, he wrote a letter to uh, Jimmy Carter as the U.S. president basically saying we have this right wing government in El Salvador and it's causing a lot of violence and problems in my country. And you should he was like appealing to him as a Christian, saying you should withdraw your support for this government. And he so the, the letter is interesting because it's framed in terms of like, I'm a Christian, you're a Christian. Don't you not want the poor to suffer? Right. <laughs> That's kind of the, the sort of driving pulse of it. And uh, Romero was assassinated uh, just a few months after that letter by an assassin who kind of down the chain was ultimately um, basically a, a U.S. trained uh, kind of right wing force. There's there was these U.S. paramilitaries that were operative in El Salvador. And um, yeah, lots of complicated things there. But all that to say it's a really troubling object to listen in, in exactly this because the United States as a Christian hegemony in the world um, was also funding all these right-wing people who were murdering Christians in El Salvador, including a guy who ended up becoming a saint. And uh, Romero had tried to appeal to Jimmy Carter on the, the grounds of both of them being Christians and for whatever reason didn't, didn't get picked up. And I think right. it's just important that we recognize that, you know, <laughs> Christianity is a faith tradition that is literally at war with itself all over the planet. And we have to be able to, like, 
name that that is an internal antagonism, an internal contradiction, or else we're never going to be able to to deal with it. And that's exactly what the idea of the U.S. being innocent or Christianity being innocent or U.S. patriotism being innocent kind of leads us to. I mean, if you say that you're a U.S. patriot, I think it basically suggests that you're ignorant of, you know, what the United <laughs> States does. And I'm pretty yeah. sus, pretty sus. And I mean, a lot of people are, to be fair. Like, where would you go find out, I guess, other than if you happen to be in left spaces or you meet a handful of people or, or, you know, you know, we, we all kind of grow up like the education system is designed to shield you from that for sure. So like, I have some sympathy, mm-hmm. I guess, for people who are ignorant, but very little sympathy for people who, <laughs> who don't try not to be. Um, so, you know, it's just, uh, it's important to sort of figure out what our language is, is, uh, telling us about ourselves. Yeah. I don't want to push the point the the point too far because uh, we don't have a lot of time left. But I'm going I'm going to anyways. I guess what I'm trying to say. Uh, you said that Christianity is at war with itself. I think it's a really it's a great line because because it is in all kinds of very interesting ways. Um, I mean, yeah, a lot of different examples that come to mind. But I guess the one that's always the most stark is is the Korean War. Maybe this is because uh, there's a, a new season of the Blowback podcast, which I I like quite a bit, and it's about the Korean War. And it's very interesting. But anyways. Um, Evangelical Christians are always bemoaning the fact that, uh, you know, they need to send missionaries to uh, to the DPRK. That's the place they need to go to because they're not going to hear the gospel there because there are no churches um, or I mean, the, the reality situation is that Christianity looks very different. Um, but just the same, it's like, you know, why are there no churches there? And it's because during the Korean War, uh, the United States bombed them all and, and destroyed them. So it's like, I don't know. Um, Christians did that bombing too. So it's like, uh, it is very much at war with itself because of us imperialism. Um, those two things are, uh, I, I guess it's important to kind of keep that Foucauldian vibe going though. Right. Because you can see the ways that those networks are really intertwined with one another, um, uh, discursively, but also in terms of like power. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Yikes. I guess that's the thing though, is it's really easy to, it's easy to point to Marjorie Taylor green and be like, look, when she says the U S is a Christian nation, she is, uh, kind of intentionally building a, a discursive world, a network of power and language relationships on purpose, right? She's yeah. trying to um, create a bit of a world in which people will be politically active in a right-wing way, right? So it's everything is obvious. It's on the face of it. And that's what people are criticizing. They shouldn't be using Christianity to recruit people into right-wing politics. And yes, true, of course. Um, but, uh, <laughs> the, the more troubling Foucauldian thing is like, well, the subtle ways in which we talk about actually uh, talk about this, this problem, uh, actually reveal to us how much we too are intertwined into dangerous Christian hegemonies that we don't understand. And I think that's, uh, anyway, that's the, the meat of the Foucault piece for me at least. Yeah, definitely. Well, let's pivot a little bit more then. Okay. So Christian nationalism is a phrase that makes all kinds of things possible, um, and isn't that interesting? But it's also the case that liberals are very much caught up in Christian nationalism without wanting to admit it. Um, you know, they're they're involved in sort of a different way, right? Um, but the, the 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 idea that I think we need to kind of work through then is like, is Christian nationalism the word that act, you know? It, if we use that word, does it activate some type of um, helpful analysis? Does it activate some type of like? new point where we can kind of break from it, um, you know, or is there a different word that we can use? 
And I'm here to tell you with, with some good news. Um, you probably saw the tweet already. It's not, it's not on Twitter. But <laughs> maybe instead of saying Christian nationalism, we should just be, I think, a little bit more upfront and say Christian fascism. Um, or or maybe in the, in the more like, uh, you know, the postmodern sort of Foucauldian sense, uh, we could ask the question, what does is, what is Christo-fascism make possible that uh, Christian nationalism doesn't? And I think that is uh, uh, maybe the direction we should probably start thinking. Yeah, right. Because just uh, here's part of the pitch right off the bat. Um, I'm going to try to sell you on why we should use Christofascism, not Christian nationalism. Um, Christian nationalism is a kind of phrase that is extremely easy to appropriate in the way that Marjorie Taylor Greene did. Right. Um, She is a Christian nationalist. Like it's not an insult to her. Um, and uh, people want to use that term as though it's self-evidently bad. I mean, this is the kind of rhetoric you see a lot of the time on in certain progressive Christian circles. Like, they'll accuse someone of being a Christian nationalist and kind of expect that everybody is on board with that. Um, it's kind of a the weird libidinal politics of, like, saying something that makes you satisfied with what you've said, but it doesn't actually, like, yeah. accomplish anything. <laughs> um, as opposed to Christofascism... I mean, maybe in theory, like there are there is a politician out there who's like, no, I'm happily a Christo fascist and I'd be happy for them to admit that that would be genuinely useful to me. Um, But like Marjorie Taylor Greene is not going to stand in front of Turning Points USA and be like, I'm a Christo fascist. She might like complain that people call her that, but it's not a term she's going to appropriate. And I think it's also so there's a, a kind of strategic reason to use it in that way. Um, but it also is just more accurate. <laughs> it's a better descriptor of what's problematic here and creates a little bit more space between like kinds of Christian nationalisms, perhaps, um, because the Christian nationalism that whatever, like Pete Buttigieg is out there promoting in his own way is not the same as the Christian nationalism of Marjorie Taylor Greene or George W. Bush, which is probably also different from Marjorie Taylor Greene in some nuanced way, yeah. right? So Christofascism, at least, uh, again, kind of just puts us on a path to have some more precise language. Um, yeah, just a, a, a better uh, term that makes other kinds of analyses possible. I think that's good. Yeah. And it's uh, it's not able to be appropriated. And I like that about it. <laughs> I mean, at least not yet. Uh, you never know in the future. It could always be, I guess. Well, uh, if we're going to talk about Christ- Christofascism, as we are, uh, we got to talk about Dorothy Zuela because she's the person who kind of coins this term, or at least is the most uh, helpful explainer of it. So Dorothy Zuela has an essay called Christofascism, where she kind of lays it all out. And I think that like her explanation, I think, still fits totally. Mostly her explanation is kind of reflecting on the, like, the spectacular aspects of like televangelism. Um, but I think it, it translates pretty well, actually. It, it's it's not that much of a stretch. Um, uh, yeah, Dean, what do you want to say about it? Anything? Um, I mean, I'll read part of it, I guess. <laughs> oh, sure. Do yeah, that. I mean, the, the televangelism stuff is great, but as you say, it, it uh, makes sense today. So she says, people are told repeatedly that pornography, homosexuality, and promiscuity go with secular humanism, Satanism, and communism, and these last three are lumped together without distinction. The primitiveness of the argumentation is scandalous. For believers who are dependent on authority and in search of something to hold on to, religion is instrumentalized in order to engender hate, to lead them into battle and crusades. It's this instrumentalization of religion for completely different ends that inspired me to formulate a concept that needs further clarification, Christofascism. 
And here's kind of how she explains it. This is a little bit of a long passage, but I think it, it's worth it just to get us chatting a bit. Yeah. So she says, in our public discussion, the concept of fascism has been almost completely reduced to totalitarianism, even by the moderate right. All the other essential elements of German fascism in particular, such as its racist mania and militarism, are dismissed as irrelevant. According to the strange logic of some of our guardians of democracy, President Reagan, because he was democratically elected, simply cannot have any fascist tendencies. In this debate, the electoral process as such takes on a sacrosanct quality as if no democratic country had ever stumbled into genocide in Southeast Asia, for example. <laughs> Democracy in this way of thinking is a purely formal structure in its lack of political substance, so evident in its militarism, racism, sexism, and neocolonial exploitation of the peoples of the third world is of no further interest. But the most dangerous thing about Christo-fascist religion is precisely that it is not compulsory nor is it brought about in totalitarian fashion by violence. It's a matter of what critical Americans call soft fascism. Chauvinistic nationalism, militarization of one's own land and all dependent countries, lots of other kind of qualities that she puts together here. Uh, but she says, uh, one sort of essential difference between this and European fascism is, in my judgment, the geopolitical fact that nowadays the concentration camps are not close to Weimar or Munich, but far away in El Salvador, the Philippines, South Africa, etc. And the last thing here, she says, at a mass meeting, a thousand voices shouted, I love Jesus and I love America. It was impossible to distinguish the two. This kind of religion knows the cross only as a magical symbol of what he has done for us, not as the sign of a poor man who was tortured to death as a political criminal, like thousands who stand up for truth in El Salvador. This is a God without justice, a Jesus without a cross, an Easter without a cross, what remains is a metaphysical Eastern buddy in front of the beautiful blue light of the television screen, a betrayal of the disappointed, a miracle weapon in service of the mighty. So lots of good rhetoric at the end, but I guess just to kind of center on what she finds really useful is, first of all, fascism as a definition is so kind of restricted to uh, some in incredibly basic points about Nazi Germany that we don't use it anywhere yeah. else. And then secondly, for her, uh, U.S. fascism is characterized by this massive expansionist kind of state that is then held together by this sort of theological, you know, very abstract faith that prevents you from, I guess, ever seeing where that empire really lands. This is why the Christian nationalism thing is so frustrating is because it is hard. It's like it, it, because there's such a distance between, I think, the way that uh, Christian nationalism sounds to people and the way that it sounds like in, in relation to fascism, right? Like the two ideas like just like don't necessarily go together for people in their brains, but um, <laughs> which is frustrating, which is why we need to maybe do this podcast. Um, but uh, I, something that kind of rings more true to fascism, though, is actually what uh, this is from uh, Lauren Boebert. She's a representative as well and definitely in the same <laughs> the same vein as Marjorie Taylor Greene. But she... Um, Really recently, she had this kind of like, I don't know, this really pithy statement that anyways, she just said that like there shouldn't really be any um, separation between the church and state. We got to get rid of all that junk. It's not in the Constitution, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> some really stupid stuff, right? <laughs> like, uh, so, I mean, I, I guess that's like historically wrong, probably in some ways. Um, <laughs> think about the Constitution, but who cares? Uh, she doesn't care for sure, right? But anyways, that I think is uh, a great example of, I think, uh, how Christian fascism looks and feels because like, it, I think it's maybe closer to like what you'd expect from fascism. Um, 
so it's like maybe easier to call that a type of Christian fascism. But um, I think it's, you know, it's still like it's not like a far cry from from what Marshall Taylor Greene's after anyways. So it seems like this this is rhetoric that works. But I think the uh, the Christo fascism part and kind of explain the way that it's not it's not compulsory, that it kind of like is a, is a type of soft fascism that people pick up on purpose um, and voluntarily not at like a ballot box or at like some kind of like, um, I don't know. Um, riot or whatever mm-hmm. is a really helpful um, explanation. Though, I, I mean, people are also using the, the phrase Christi- Christian nationalism around uh, the January 6th riots at the Capitol mm-hmm. and stuff, which is right. I mean, when when you're reading the, uh, the, the Christ without a cross, you know, without resurrection and stuff like that, I guess it makes me feel, uh, it makes me think of a lot of those, uh, those scenes too from when, uh, you know, people were putting up crosses right. <laughs> outside the uh outside the capital a little a little on the nose I guess, <laughs> yeah. me, but yeah <laughs> yeah exactly i mean the other thing that she brings out so well is that uh christofascism is precisely voluntary right like that's what makes it so troubling it's not that marjorie taylor green or lauren, lauren bubber or whatever are out there like conscripting people into whatever the Hitler youth is of <laughs> of us uh the United States or something. I mean, surely some of that does happen in like youth groups in the world. Like all you have to do is watch a Jesus camp or something to kind of get a sense of how it happened in the Bush years. Right. Um so I mean there are cases where it's not so voluntary and it does resemble more straightforwardly maybe that other kind of fascism that we have in our brains. But uh it's it's more subtle and more challenging to parse out um, to kind of see the ways in which people do get uh, recruited into Christofascism. Um, before Matt and I started recording, I was just like reading the Wikipedia of Marjorie Taylor Greene, trying to be like, where'd this lady even come from? And, you know, I think I've read like a few explainers or like biographies of her kind of in articles here and there. But uh, for some reason, just now, like it clicked for me that she was like a huge CrossFit person <laughs> in like 2012 and then leading up to her political career. Which, uh, I mean, not that every, like, middle-aged woman who's a CrossFit person ends up being a Christofascist, for sure. But, like, there's a trend. (laughs) It's out there. (laughs) There's a type. Um, And uh, I think it's just, like, important to be, like, I don't know, how do you, how does a Christo, how does a, like, uh, a CrossFit lady (laughs) turn into a person talking at, like, a Christofascist in front of, like, a handful of Republican teens at Turning Points USA, you know? And uh, I think those are the kinds of questions that, like, kind of just get elided a little bit by the the mainstream discourse around Christian nationalism. You know, we're dealing with something that's actually, like, way more problematic than that. <laughs> like, something that is way more ingrained into our daily lives than Christian nationalism or the way that it gets talked about, at least, in, in kind of liberal circles. And unless we're willing to even parse out what Christofascism is, it's going to be really, really difficult to get rid of it. And certainly we're not going to get rid of it by like being like, well, I'm a Christian patriot and I reject it (laughs) and I've done it. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's true. Um, You know, it's frustrating, too, because like, uh, of course, like only the people in the mainstream media, they'll only talk about Christian nationalism when it comes up in politics like this. Right. The, the frustrating part, though, is exactly what you're saying, is, like, how does somebody like Marjorie Taylor Greene become this person? And, I mean, the answer is is far more commonplace, right? It's just, like, she learns it at church. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that is what is very frustrating, right? It's, like, Christian nationalism does not come – or Christofascism is what I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm going with here. I'm committing to it now <laughs> to make it a thing. Um, I'm making it happen myself right now. Uh, it doesn't just come out of nowhere. It comes out of – 
networks of people and it comes out of networks of rhetoric and it comes out of like the the real actions of people on Sunday mornings saying the most wild shit at the pulpit, right? It's just like it's not it's not a thing that just appears out of nowhere. It's not a purely political phenomenon. It's the translation of one type of um phrase, you know, Christianity. And it's the it's transposing it into uh, another sphere of discourse, which is politics. So it's just like I don't know. Um, people don't care until it's in it's in the news or whatever until a politician does it. But the the networks of of right wing Christian nationalism have been active for a very long time, and they've been creating people like this for a very long time. And only now are we seeing them kind of emboldened to say these things out loud, which is I guess a bummer. Yeah, I guess that that's the big issue, right? <laughs> Figuring out where it's happening. Um, I'm sure there there is a liberal Christian way of kind of recognizing that churches are the the recruitment grounds for Christo fascism, and that's what they're trying to deal with. But yeah, trying to figure out too how those churches are again in that Foucauldian way, like wrapped up in a big discourse of power uh, that's been going on for a very long time, and how that funds uh, our whole kind of U.S. led hegemony around the world. I guess that's the harder question that maybe liberal religion journalists have just like don't have the tools in that vocabulary to to do to do justice to, I think. Yeah, I think that's right. Well, all right, folks, you heard it here. We're not doing Christian nationalism anymore. Christian nationalism is canceled. Uh, we're doing Christo fascism. That's what these folks are. Start calling them that and see what happens. <laughs> and I guess it'll be a great time. Thanks for listening to The Magnificast. If you like what you heard, you can follow us on Twitter. You can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash The Magnificast. Um, if you do, you can join a cool reading group about degrowth that's going on right now on our Discord. Um, so if you're on our Patreon at $2 or more, you can be in the Discord and chat with us and other folks about degrowth. It's been a really fun conversation so far. Um, our music is by Amoria Armstrong, our outro is by The Illogical Spoon, and we'll see you next week. I don't want to get up for church in the morning, church in the morning, souls alive. Heaven come to earth and there won't be no church, we'll meet down by the riverside. There we'll swim with all creation, never get tired, never bored, don't worry, someday there'll be no dam between us and our Lord. Jackson, keep your hoods up, keep your hoods up, and you stay up late. Jackson, keep your hoods up. Well, you keep your hoods up and you stay up late. Oh, don't mind a cold night, but we might mind if you leave too soon. So come on now, it's still early. At least I would have.